Mark 7, verses 14 through 23. Let's read through it, and then we'll go back through it a little bit more carefully. Follow along in your Bible or on the screen. And Jesus called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Now that's our passage for this morning. It's a heavy passage. Um, There is light at the end of the tunnel of the passage into our glorious hope in the gospel, but we need to meditate on this passage. What I'd like to do is go back through Think of it like you're touring a house, like you came over and I'm showing you around a house. I'm just going to show you some features of the passage uh, kind of briefly, and then we're going to land on three main ideas from this text that I think we need to focus on this morning, okay? So going back up to verse 14, first notice that he's talking to the people. It says, he called the people to him again. Just before this, he had been talking to the religious elite, the Pharisees and scribes, and he had been trying to explain to them that they had left the commandments of God because they were holding to the traditions of men. And now he's sort of looking past them to the people who were around, and he's addressing them. He's not just concerned about the religious elite. He's concerned that the, just the general folks like us are going to be misled by their false teaching. So now he's calling just the people to himself. And what does he want them to do? Hear me, all of you, and understand. He wants the people, which would include us, I believe, to hear him and understand something. There's something he needs for us to synthesize into our worldview, into our thought patterns. Now, if you are under the misunderstanding that you can become a Christian and retain your same old way of thinking, this is a corrective for you. You know, some people are type A kind of personalities, and, you know, I know what I'm doing, and I'll take a little bit of Christianity and mix it in, but basically I know what I'm about. Becoming a Christian is a total restructuring of your thought patterns, okay? There's something that we need to understand, something we need to synthesize into our thought patterns, Now, verse 15 is the big idea. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, 
but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. This is the big core of the passage. Now, we need to think about the word defile, because some of you are already glazing over because you're not thinking about defilement. That's not even a word you've ever used in your life. And so this passage maybe feels a little bit disconnected from your reality. We're going to get to how it applies to your life. It definitely applies to your life. But for starters, let's think about what the word defile means. It means um, to make unclean or unholy or polluted and therefore unable to be in God's presence. It was a religious word that the Jews would have understood very well. It is to make unclean or unholy or polluted and therefore unable to be in the presence of God. Okay, that's what defile means. Okay, let's just keep browsing through before we get to our big points. After he tells the people this, then he goes into the house, he leaves the people, in verse 17, his disciples ask him about the parable. So now he's addressing his disciples. What does he want his disciples to do? Look at verse 18. Then are you also without understanding? So the disciples should have understood what he's trying to teach already. They should have synthesized this this lesson into their thought patterns, but they hadn't yet. So he explains it to them in more detail. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. The big idea is outside things can't defile you, make you unholy, make you unclean, pollute you, because they don't hit your heart. The food you eat doesn't get to your heart. It goes to your stomach and is expelled. Okay, this concept of the heart is going to be very important for what Jesus is trying to teach us this morning. Your heart is your inner core, the true you. It's where your desires come from. It's the center of who you are. Now, he just puts in parentheses, thus he declared all foods clean, as if that's not a big deal. That is a huge deal. Because all through, look at Leviticus chapter 11, for example. The Jews knew that God had given laws proclaiming that certain foods were unclean. And here Jesus declares, it doesn't matter. All foods are clean. Now, our passage doesn't dwell on that. But at the very least, we need to acknowledge that this shows Jesus' unbelievable authority. That he would just say, foods are clean. Nothing from the outside going in can defile you. Okay, so we finished the tour. Thank you for bearing with me on the tour. We needed to get some of these general things in our understanding to understand what I'm going to share with you next. There are so many cultural differences between us and this passage. There's so many differences that it almost makes it difficult to understand what he's talking about and why it's important. But there's three truths that I think apply to each of us on a very deep level. And that's that's what we're going to look at, these three truths in turn, and then we're going to pray together. That's what the service is going to look like from here on out. So the first truth, sin comes from within. Okay, remember, we're trying to understand. We're trying to let the Word of God restructure how we think. This is one big important concept that we need to program into our minds. Sin comes from within. Look at verses 21 and 22 again. 
For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. From from within, out of the heart of man. So where do all these things come from? Out of the heart of man. He does not say uh, bad intellectual atmosphere is where evil thoughts come from. He does not say out of our sex-saturated culture, our sex-obsessed culture where it's in every advertisement, out of that culture comes sexual immorality. He does not say out of desperate situations comes theft. He says out of the heart of man come evil thoughts. Out of the heart of man comes sexual immorality. Out of the heart of man comes theft and all these other things. Now this is a very important concept. James picks up on it in James chapter 1. I'm going to flip over there and we'll read that together. James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, is a very important passage to understand sin. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Here's the key verse. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Sin comes from within. So think about the the most recent headline that's ringing in my ears and probably yours as well is ISIS and more murders. Why are they doing this? Why are they so able to recruit people to do this? Why are they so able to recruit people from the United States to go over there and do this stuff? Where does it come from? From within people's hearts. There can be no other explanation. When ISIS is luring people on Twitter and all these things, people's own desires in their hearts are lured into them. Okay, now if that doesn't connect, think about, picture two storefronts. One is an ABC store, a liquor store, and right beside it is an adult bookstore. Okay, one person can walk right by the adult bookstore and not feel any temptation, but when they get to the ABC store, feel like a magnetic pull, some magnetic pull temptation into it. Because the sin in their heart, the desire in their heart, is luring them to the alcohol. Another person walking the other direction can walk right past the ABC store and feel nothing. But then when they get to the adult bookstore, they feel a lure, a pull toward the adult bookstore because the sin in their heart, the desire in their heart, is luring them to it. The same temptation doesn't get everybody. Why not? Because it's not the temptation that's the source of the sin, it's the desires in people's hearts. 
And we all have different heart desires. We all have different sinful desires that lure us to different things. So what tempts me that I can't abstain from may not tempt you at all. But you may have some other sin in your heart, some other luring desire. We need to understand that sin comes from within us. And therefore, we are responsible. I read a book recently about raising boys in modern America. Uh, It was not written from a Christian worldview. And each chapter was tackling one of the major obstacles of raising a, a boy in our culture without them getting into big trouble as they grow up. And a whole chapter was devoted to the topic of video games. Especially violent video games. There are some ultra-violent video games out there. Now, you need to know that there is, as far as I can tell, conclusive evidence linking really violent video games to violent behavior in young men. There's just really no arguing it. There is a link between the two. Now, do the violent video games cause the violent behavior in the young men? When someone sh- there's a school shooting and you find out that that young man was playing the most violent video games, do you sue the video game manufacturers? Is it the video game's fault? No, the violent video games don't put the murderousness in the hearts of the boys. It exposes it, and it kindles the flames. But from within the heart of man comes these evil things. From within the hearts of these boys comes this sin. I was listening to a podcast recently. Uh, it's a new one called, I think it's called Codebreaker. It's from Marketplace, an NPR. You guys may not know what I'm talking about. But what they're doing this entire season of their podcast is looking at different technologies and asking the question, is it evil? And the first one was on email. So the question for the podcast was, is email evil? And they went around and interviewed all these experts, and they talked all about, well, no, it's good because it enables these forms of communication and know it's bad because it enables people to communicate in the worst way, the worst things without being face to face, or it enables us to read in the worst things. And at the very end, someone finally came on with the right answer. Email isn't evil. We're evil. Technology's neutral. It's what we do with it because out of the heart of man comes evil things. Out of the heart of man comes sins. What's wrong with the world? We are. When you see the headlines and you wonder, what is wrong with this world? We are. The hearts of men. So the first truth we need to assimilate into our thinking is that sin comes from within. The second one is that sin defiles. And we're going to use that old biblical word. It's a good word. Sin defiles. Look at verse 20. And then verse 23, back in Mark chapter 7. Verse 20, And Jesus said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. Then verse 23, After that list of evil things, he says, All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. They make a person unholy. They make a person unclean. They make a person polluted. And therefore, they keep people from being able to be connected with a holy, righteous, pure God. You know, we have a house in Albemarle, many of you know. 
Um, we've been renting it. Our tenant moved out, and I've been going down there and working on it uh, every spare minute. And when I go down there to work on it, I come back with a distinctive Albemarle House smell on me. It's the smell of a house that's been shut up for a while with heavy rains, and it's like a sort of a mildewy kind of smell, plus my own sweat from working and paint fumes mixed in with that. It's a bad combination. So I came home last night from that situation, and Lillian comes running up to hug me, and then she changes her mind when she gets close. Because there was a sense in which I was defiled. I was defiled. I, she she had just gotten out of the shower. Her little hair was all slicked back, and she was in her clean pajamas. She was clean and pure. I was defiled. If she were to hug me, she would smell like the Albemarle House. So she didn't hug me. I said, just let me take a shower first. Okay, that same concept is true spiritually. Our sin that comes from within our hearts defiles us and makes us incompatible with the holy God. And we already know this. Okay, this isn't news to you. Some of you perhaps have spent your week in covetousness, like it says here in the list. Covetousness is um, one definition I saw this week called it the accursed longing to have. The accursed longing to have. So all week you've been looking at your lifestyle magazines and watching your lifestyle television shows and looking at your friends who have better jobs than you and you've been wishing you had more, wishing you had more, complaining about what you do have. And then you come in here and I ask you to give a Thanksgiving testimony and something in you feels like you really can't, like you're not worthy to come up here and act like you're this grateful person because you know in your heart all week it's just been covetousness and complaint and ingratitude. Some of you on the way here, you've had a wicked morning. You woke up on the wrong side of the bed. You didn't realize until too late you were out of coffee. You're fussing at your family all the way here, flipping off everybody that seemed to cut you off or do anything even slightly out of the ordinary on the road. You're just so enraged. In your mind, you've just got these grumpy, wicked thoughts tangling all over themselves. Your heart doesn't want to be here. And then Meredith comes up, and you're supposed to sing worship songs. And something in you knows, I'm not worthy to sing worship songs. Yeah, he mentions in here adultery. You know, Jesus said that if you look at someone with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with them already. Now, I know, just statistically speaking, that there are people in here who struggle with pornography. I mean, statistically, it would be nearly impossible that there wouldn't be. It's so accessible and it's so gripping that it's nearly inescapable in our world. Now, when you indulge in adulterous sin like that, you know that you can't just turn. In your heart, you do not feel like you can turn immediately and open your Bible and pray and read your Bible. You almost feel like there has to be this time buffer. Something has to happen. I've got to listen to some Christian music for half an hour before I'm holy enough to go to God in prayer and ask for forgiveness. Or I've got to do something for a while before I can approach God. We feel that sense of defilement when we sin. That sense of shame, that sense of dirtiness, that sense of uncleanness. It comes in many shapes and sizes, 
depending on what your unique temptation is. And we need to understand that that doesn't come out of nowhere. Sin truly does defile us. You know, I wonder if part of the reason why much of our singing is half-hearted isn't just because we're uncomfortable singing, it's because we've got sin in our lives and we don't feel clean enough to truly sing to God these things. I wonder sometimes if our church attendance across the board, not just Dolan's Grove, is, is lessening, lessening because a lot of people have given up on having a relationship with God because they feel too defiled. Sin comes from within. Sin defiles. And the third truth, religious ritual cannot cleanse you. Religious ritual cannot clean you up. It cannot make you holy again. It cannot undefile you. Religious ritual is powerless to do these things. Now, to see why, let's go back and read verses 15 through 19 again. Jesus says, There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. Now, we're coming at this from an American, modern American cultural worldview. They were coming at it from an a ancient worldview, many from a Jewish worldview. So we're looking at it sort of from the opposite side. Now remember the context of what he's talking about is religious Jewish people thinking that they were holy because of outside religious ritual. In the previous passage, they were upset because the disciples did not wash their hands per the religious ritual. And therefore, they saw them as being defiled. And then here in this context, it's clear that Jesus is thinking about the laws about what foods are clean and unclean. And he's saying, these things from outside of you, these outside rituals, these washings of hands, this eating of clean foods, failure to do that does not defile you. What defiles you is what comes from within. Now, from our perspective, I think we, don't, we need to acknowledge that success in doing religious ritual does not clean you up. Success in religious rituals does not make you holy. It does not counterbalance the sin in your life. It does not wash it away. You know, no amount of hand washing for these Jewish religious people could cleanse them from the deceit that was flowing out of their heart. No amount of perfect, clean food diet could cleanse these Jewish religious leaders from the sensuality coming from their hearts. No amount of church attendance can cleanse us from the envy coming out of our hearts, from the resentment of people who have what we think we ought to have. No amount of quiet times can cleanse us from the slander coming out of our hearts, out of our mouths, the evil things we say about one another and each other. No amount of listening to 91.9 Christian music can cleanse you from the pride coming out of your heart. You know, I think this is the biggest misconception that I face as a pastor. Is that religious ritual of church business cleanses people. It doesn't. 
There's a lot of self-righteous people who are self-righteous because they're very involved in church and they see that religious ritual as making them holy. It's not. There's also a lot of guilt-ridden people who see themselves as guilty because they're not adhering to the religious rituals. Well, they are guilty, but not because they're not adhering to religious rituals. Now, I've told you before, when I get my hair cut, as soon as they find out I'm a pastor, I get the explanation as to why they're not in church. I didn't ask for it, but they assume that must be what I'm thinking. And they'll say, well, you know, I should be in church, but I'm not because, you know, my job, I have to work weekends, and so that's why I don't go to church. But I know I should go to church. You know, we should feel no self-righteousness because we're sitting in church this morning. And those who are not in church this morning should feel no guilt because they're not in church this morning. Because God doesn't look at our religious ritual record and pat us on the back when we do well and shake his head at us when we do badly. God sees past that to our hearts. He sees past the religious ritual to the reality of our hearts. That's why these outside things don't defile you, he says. It enters not his heart. It enters not his heart. You can do religious ritual stuff heartlessly. And many, many people do. And so they think they're righteous before a holy God that sees their reality, sees their hearts, because they do religious ritual stuff. That's why so many funerals get so uncomfortable. Have you ever been to a funeral? Somebody that you really knew, and the pastor's up there just talking about how great this guy was. Oh, he was in church every Sunday. He loved the Lord. I know he's up there playing golf with the Lord right now. Something I literally heard in a funeral for a relative of mine. All the while, the people that really knew the guy are thinking, man, that guy, coming from that guy's heart was all kinds of evil. See, it's hard for us pastors to give a eulogy at someone's funeral if all we see is the church version, all we see them doing their religious ritual. The reality is what's coming out of your heart at home, what's coming out of your heart when you hit your thumb with the hammer by accident, what's coming out of your heart when someone betrays you. Someone legitimately betrays you, hurts you for real, really hurts you, sins against you. What does it reveal in you? What sloshes out of your heart in that moment? That's the truer indicator of who you are than your church attendance record. If slander sloshes out of your heart and you're immediately on the phone to your allies saying, you won't believe what this person did to me. How could they say that to me when they're doing this and they're doing that? Slander, slander, slander. As opposed to humble prayer for them, humbly approaching them saying, how can we make this right? No amount of church attendance washes that, that filth of that slander away. Don't be deceived. How many children have walked away from the faith because they sat beside their mom or their dad in a pew and watched them pretend to love Jesus Christ when they saw the reality at home? This false conception that religious ritual cleanses us is so dangerous. 
Our sin comes from within us. Our sin defiles us. Religious ritual cannot cleanse us. Now, thankfully, I don't just have to end the sermon here and send you on your way. How bleak that would be. How hopeless. Thankfully, I have good news for you. I'll read it to you before I explain it to you. I'll read it to you from Hebrews 9. Now, this is an appropriate passage, even though it might be hard for us to wrap our minds around, because it's talking about how much better Jesus is than the Jewish religious rituals. It says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, referring to the tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of a defiled, of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? In other words, all the religious ritual that, that the ancient Jews practiced was pointing ahead to something better, the ultimate priest, the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ. All the religious ritual, the cleansing that it accomplished, was pointing ahead to the ultimate cleansing that would cleanse not just our hands, but our hearts. In Jesus Christ, we have absolute total purification from sins. Absolute total cleansing. And therefore we can say, as it says over in Hebrews 10, verse 22, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. See, now we can draw near to God, not because we've been to church this morning, but because Jesus Christ's blood has made us clean. We approach God only, only on the basis of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. Now, what does this look like in practical terms? I have one more passage for you, and this is where we'll close. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. So sin comes from within you. You have sin in your life. You can't blame your circumstances. It comes from within you. It defiles you. You can't minimize how bad sin is. It truly does separate you from the holy God. Religious ritual cannot cleanse you. Okay, so don't even try to get clean through religious ritual. But Jesus Christ does cleanse people, does reconcile them to God. So practically speaking, what do you do if you know you've got sin in your life right now and you're feeling that conviction of the Holy Spirit? What do you do? That's why we'll turn to 1 John 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So what do you do if you're defiled in your sin? You step out of the darkness into the light. 
And in so doing, you find that the blood of Jesus cleanses you from sin. Well, what does that mean? Let's keep reading. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Confession. It's really so simple. You know, instead of an elaborate hoax to cover our sin with seeming religious righteousness, we confess our sins to God and to man. Okay, all sin is against God. So the way from defilement to cleansing is to go to him and just ask for forgiveness. And just say, I sinned and I'm sorry and I need you to cleanse me and forgive me and help me to repent, help me to turn. Some sin is against people, and you need to go and confess to the people against whom you've sinned. Now, trust that the Holy Spirit will make that plain to each of us. If there's anyone we need to go to and say, I've sinned against you in this way, will you please forgive me? That's the process. Trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your behalf, open up about your sin, confess it, receive forgiveness. So much easier than trying to pile on religious rituals. Now, the way we're going to close our time before our closing song is I wanted you to have time for prayer because perhaps some in the room have sin in their life that the Holy Spirit is convicting them of. And the way I'd like for us to do this closing time of prayer is based on Psalm 51. And I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and bow your head and listen as I read Psalm 51. As you're closing your eyes and bowing your head, Psalm 51 is something that David wrote after he had come clean about sin in his life. He had stayed home from war. He had looked down from his rooftop and seen Bathsheba bathing on her rooftop. And in the lust of his heart, he had her brought to him, committed adultery with her, tried to cover it up by murdering her husband. He lived with this sin and guilt and shame. And then God convicted him of it, sent a prophet to call him out on it, and he wrote this. And let this be your prayer if you are someone who is harboring sin unconfessed in your heart. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. 
Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Amen.